Verbally Effective with Ina Esco is an interview-style podcast that intersects art, culture, politics, and entertainment with a Memphis focus. With producer Sanaa Marie, each week I'm joined by a featured guest with roots in Memphis. Verbally Effective delves into each guest's personal journey to uncover the incredible stories fueling their purpose the highs and lows of their pursuits, and how through their passion, they are moving the culture forward. Be sure to follow Verbally Effective and Ina Esco on Instagram. Also, download the Verbally Effective podcast on SoundCloud, iTunes, and Google Play Music. Don't forget to check out the website and submit to be a guest at verballyeffective.com. Yo, what's going on? This is Eric Hennigan, and I'm here hanging with Nina Esco, double E, on the Verbally Effective Podcast. What's good? It's Big Sue, and I'm hanging out with my girl, Ina Esco. We're going to chop it up about everything. You hear me? Everything on the Verbally Effective Podcast. Hey there. My name is David Cole, and I'm verbally effective because art is my self-care. Born and raised in Memphis, Tennessee, David Cross comes from a place where art and culture are celebrated, and being a part of spreading awareness in those areas is his mission. Being of African, Afro-Caribbean, European, and indigenous American descent, he likes to allow his appreciation of culture to influence how he views the world. Everyone's perspective and understanding of life should be considered. Everyone is beautiful, and so is life. David is the jewelry designer and owner of IV, his jewelry brand that allows him to tell a story of his family's history through art and creation based on chromesthetic reactions to musical sound. He's formed a private interior styling and consulting brand, Concept 417. Through this avenue, he's had a chance to work on homes both in person as well as virtually with virtual clients extending to both coasts. Fitness, too, is his passion that affords him the opportunity to conduct classes, again virtually for now, all while allowing him to chance the reciprocate encouragement with those that he meets along the way. He views life as a constant adventure full of lessons to be learned and positivity to spread. Verbally effective, your double E, Ina Esco here. Thank you guys so much for tuning in once again to the Verbally Effective Podcast. Don't forget, we have that Ivy Multimedia merch on sale right now. It will make wonderful holiday gifts. We got the hoodies, we got the tees, we have the Henry mask. Make sure you go to my social media platforms and click that link in bio. But today I'm so excited. We have one of uh, Memphis art gurus on the pod with me today. We have a Mr. David Quarles, the owner of Concept 417, and that's all about interior styling and consulting. How are you, David? Good. How are you feeling? I am wonderful. I'm so glad that you have joined me today on the Verbally Effective Podcast. You know, I've seen you over the years here and there in Memphis. And every time I see you, you're involved with your art. I know art is such a big part of your life, right? Yeah, no, it definitely is. It's ever since childbirth, I think. Really, really. So, okay. So we're definitely going to get into that on the Verbally Effective Podcast, talking about your journey. So let's start at the beginning. What part of Memphis are you from? I don't know what part to call it, but I grew up on Barron. Barron. That's North Memphis, right? Is that North Memphis? Or is that like Orange Mound area? I think it's like Sherwood Forest. Sherwood. Yes, yes, yes. Okay. So in that area. So how was it growing up on Barron? Tell me about it. It was fun. I mean, I I had friends within them. And for a while, that was like my only group of friends that were my age, but on the street. And we used to like play Gladiator. Um, I don't know. It's just, I have my best memories, even though I was there for only like seven years, I have my best memories there um in that house so whenever I think about my childhood it's always in that house yeah I I love it 
Yes. Now, what school did you go to? All right, so I started in Lion Station, and then I broke off from the family tree, I guess, in schooling, and uh, went to Colonial, which is so funny because it's like, I look at Colonial right now. It's right outside of my house, mm -hmm. and I was like, no, I'll never be in this neighborhood. <laughs> but Okay. Wow. Wow. Now, tell me, where did your love from art begin? Was it at a very young age? Yeah, I think, well, I know definitely that my um, love from art came from my dad because I would always hear stories about like the paintings that he used to do. My mom would always tell me and then he would tell me as well. But I think when I was around, they tell me around like three years old, that I would just pick up a pen and pad and I would start drawing. And thankfully, I always opted to draw on something that was meant to be drawn on and not the walls necessarily. Mm -hmm. um, so I went from painting to I would always like to put things together, like from that age of, of being three. And since then, I, I don't know, it's just always been a thing. And with um, us being so culturally diverse in our family, I've always likened that to arts and I don't know, it's DNA. Yeah. That's what it in is. The DNA. I understand. Yeah. I understand. Now you have Caribbean roots. Is that correct? Yes. Tell me about that. Yeah. So our family is a Creole and our family, well, my dad's side. And so from there, it comes from the Dominican Republic. Our, our roots come from that part. And so from there, my um, grandfather was actually Gullah. Um, yeah. So then that's low country. Mm -hmm. uh, and so those are the roots on that side. And then, of course, my um, grandmother is Irish. She's the one. It's a weird breakdown. That's why everyone is always like, my nickname used to be Sancocho, which is a gumbo, basically, mm -hmm. to kind of explain. Um, but yeah, so my grandmother is the one that's Dominican Creole Irish and has some extra stuff in there. And then my grandfather was the one that was Gullah and think according to my grandmother Jewish but we'll see wow. it showed up on on 23 and me so <laughs> wow you know what that's so interesting uh my family is Creole as well and yeah. we did a family reunion a few years back and everything went back to Ireland isn't that so interesting <laughs> those Ireland roots those Irish roots yeah <laughs> wow okay so were you very close to your grandmother yeah and she's still around um, wow. Yeah, thankfully. And it's so a, a lot of my stories and a lot of my, I don't know, it shows up in my work. And a lot of my stories that I refer to are stories that are hers, because she's very vivid in the way that she explains things. And so she makes it to where she's almost embedded her memories into me. Mm -hmm. And I'm thinking that that may be intentional, just in case, you know, like once she does pass on, um, yeah. I still have something to hold on to because she's the only link that I have now as far as grandparents, because I know that my grandmother's uh, or my mother's parents passed away before I came around and my grandfather, um, so my father's father passed away when I was four. So mm -hmm. I don't have too much memory of him. So yeah, my grandmother's definitely my reference to everything that makes up the history of my art. So. Yes, yes. And you know, that's such a blessing that you still have your grandmother here, you know, to give you those stories and influence your craft. I, I would give anything to still have my grandmother here, but especially around the holidays, you know, all those memories come to mind, the food, you know, I, I, it's just a blessing that you still have your grandmother, David. Um, let's go back a bit again and talk about what did you do once you graduated high school? What was David doing? when you graduated high school? Once I graduated, uh, mm -hmm. oof, I'm trying to think. I went right into teaching fitness classes. Okay. And it was back then, I'll say in what, 2011 is when I graduated. Good Lord, that's a while of it. Anyway, <laughs> uh, <laughs> so, you know, when I graduated, it, it didn't, like fitness wasn't such a priority in Memphis. So I was running all over, giving classes. Thankfully, I was working at um, Nike as well, like giving their classes. So I was on like their athletics team, um, but it just wasn't doing it. And so one day I ended up um, getting a call from one of my friends because I did a, what do you call this? 
I was an exchange student in Spain. Okay. And went down to Rumba Room, ended up meeting, I don't know if you knew Amalur. Um, yes, yes. She, yeah. So yeah, met her, we hit it off. She was amazing. We were like friends instantly. And then she was like, well, there's a newspaper that I work for. So why don't you try here? And I love writing. That's also part of my, that's what I get from my grandmother, my, my love of writing. Yeah. Um, and so I went there and was on the track to be their associate editor, or that's what I was there. Um, and it lasted for about, I think I was at La Prensa Latina. That's where I ended up at, ooh, I think about a year and some change or maybe even two years. And then I went back to fitness because it was just something I like. I like to be free. And mm -hmm. so working for someone else, now don't get me wrong, I love that team still. Mm -hmm. but it's something that, I don't know, working for somebody else, it just doesn't do it for me. <laughs> I understand. I, you know, the restrictions, the boundaries, give me some freedom. <laughs> yeah. I, mean, because I want to go and get coffee and get a sandwich. Like I shouldn't have to ask anyone. Um, but after that, once again, I found that fitness just wasn't a priority in Memphis. So I was like, I tried it, but I got a call to um, work at St. Jude. And so I ended up going there and worked all the way through the, um, like I did the slight corporate ladder climb yeah. and ended up working on the phones first, found out the customer service, even though I love it and I love to give it, it is not for me. Not on the <laughs> so <phone>. early, huh? <laughs> yeah. Real quick, real quick. Um, it was just something about being tied to the phone constantly. And it was like, I can't get up and I have to be here yeah. from seven till three. Mm -mm. And you already know, I don't talk to the world. Until nine. Until so, nine. You told me. <laughs> <laughs> it was rough. Um, but then after that, because of my history of working with the um, La Prensa Latina, I ended up being an editor for the letter writing that was there. So I did the bilingual letters as well as like the different markets. So like for the African-American market, the Hispanic market, and the general market. And from there, moved on to um, merchandising. Wow. And that's where my journey ended because it was, I guess, like the ultimate corporate goal that I had, but you know, like with access to a corporate car, if I needed it, like need be, or like the travel expenses and I guess the corporate phone, all of that, everything that we grew up, like, you know, this is it, but that comes with so much responsibility. Definitely. And at that time, I was really getting off into because I felt that I neglected my artwork because, mm -hmm. you know, I was on the track for like that corporate mindset. Mm -hmm. And so I pushed it off, but I ended up getting a studio like right down the street and I thought that I could double time it. Mm -hmm. So I would, on my lunch break, go and make jewelry and try to make a name, you know, like, David, which is fine. That's what I do. Um, but I felt that I still needed my artwork to be known. And so I got my studio, tried to do that. And it just got to a point where I was like, oh my God, I'm gonna have to make a decision. Right. And the stress got really bad. And I ended up having to have like what, my first EKG and heart study at 28. Oh, oh you were running yourself raggedy. Yeah, Ooh. real bad. Yeah. Um, mood was everywhere. It was worse than when I competed in um, men's physique. Like mm. when I couldn't have carbs, my mood was bad. And mm -hmm. so I knew that wasn't me. And when I didn't have time for my family, that was the last straw. And so I went into work one day, had a slight disagreement. And I was like, you know what? I don't need this. Mm -hmm. So I walked around the um, campus and I had like, I was putting lavender oil on to calm <laughs> back down. And I ended my journey in HR. I was like, you know what? You can tap me out. I'm finished. Thank you, but I'm done. Just like that. Mm -hmm. Wow. 2018, I have been a full-time artist. That's amazing. You know, and you tried to do both. You tried it like many of us do. You know, many of us, you know, we, we may have that full-time career going, um, corporate world, you know, that comes with, you know, a lot of good money, uh, the travel, things like you mentioned. But if your passion is calling, it's calling and it won't let go, right? No, -uh, it never did. And it's funny because uh, I've said this many times that it's like I was fighting the current. Um, 
none of my family that I can remember has worked for someone else. Mm. Not even my grandmother. They've always owned their own things. Yeah. So they've always had their own stores. I know my grandfather had his chain of, um, he had a barbecue shop. He had grocery stores. Like my dad used to be the one who delivered groceries for him. Uh, not until I think my parents who did work for other people, they're retired now. And I would always joke with them. I was like, I'm going to retire. I'm going to retire as an artist and by 30. And they were like, retire? You haven't even worked. <laughs> It's like, no, I just feel it. Um, but yeah, none of my family has really worked for anybody else. So like I said, it was like I was fighting that current and I wanted to show them that, hey, you know, I tried the corporate way. It's just, it's not in me. And yeah, it, it called and it kept calling. So I had to listen to it at some point. Wow. Amazing, David. So you let St. Jude go. Um Going into your own business, what did that come with? I know you said you had your studio. Um, was it an easy transition for you? Yes, because I had been double timing for a while now. So it was easy because I let go what wasn't calling me at the time. Mm -hmm. So that, that's usually the easy part. Now, I will say just because of like everything that I've done with St. Jude and of course the mission, I love it and I still support and so that is what tugged at me the most of letting go. Um, but like the, the responsibility of the position that I had at the time, that was easy to let go. So gotcha. <laughs> yeah, that, that, that was the thing. And for me to be still be able to, I guess, be involved with St. Jude, but from now as a community contributor, then that was good for me. Yeah. And I still gave classes right up until, I guess, we shut down. I gave classes there um, at the gym. So I was still there, yeah. but just not in the heavy capacity as I was before. But um, no, the transition, it felt good. It was scary because I'm like, oh, shoot, I'm responsible for my own yeah. money now, like it's for real. always scary when you, you know, go all the way 100% yeah. entrepreneur life. Yeah. <laughs> And I ended up letting go of my studio just because I heard that they were about to raise the prices and they did significant, significantly, like by $700 a month, they raised it. <laughs> and so I was out. And so we're in my studio now. Um, I just used the spare bedroom mm -hmm. that I had in my house and converted that into my studio and my office. And wow. that made it easier too, because then I cut down some yeah, costs. overhead, yeah. Yeah. Big time. Wow. So David, when you went full, you know, entrepreneur lifestyle in your studio at your home at this point, what type of art did you focus on? What, what, what were you creating in that studio at that time in your life? You know, what was the beginning looking like for you? Yeah, I just went right into jewelry because I knew now I am a painter, I do sculpting, all of that. And that for me takes a little bit longer. Sometimes my mom always says that my, I have the attention span of an ant's booty sometimes. <laughs> <laughs> so I had to stick with something where I can create art in a relatively, I guess, when I say relatively quick amount of time. But for me, I still get very lost in creating jewelry. Um, so that that's what I did and I'm redoing the studio or getting ready to so that I can have a space for painting because I have all of the canvas, I have all of the oil paint. And now that I have more time, this is something that I can get back into. And I, I, a lot of times, and it makes it once again, a full circle, my artwork would always be like the women would always be adorned with jewelry. And so I knew that I wanted to make jewelry and I basically had all of the sketches there. Mm -hmm. And so I just turned that portion of my art into another form of art. So yeah. Yeah. Uh, wow. So let's talk about your jewelry making process, David. Uh, how do you come up with your designs and the materials that you use? Okay. So now for instance, and I, I know that, what is that last night? Like the alignment of the planets? Yes. The so conjunction. I, yes. I loved it. I'm such a universe nerd. Mm -hmm. uh, anything, I mean, last night, and I got sniffles now because I was out there in like a little park. 
at the sky. And so that's a lot of my influence. I go out in nature. Mm -hmm. um, I pull from there, but I do pull a lot from the celestial nature of everything just because I feel that I've always had a connection with that. And it's just something about the moon to me that it's always been here and that it's always watching over. And that's a tie that me and my mother have because when I was a um, foreign exchange student and I would like miss them so much, she always told me to look up at the moon. And I feel that she had, I don't know if she got that from a movie, but it had such an <laughs> impact on me, but um, she. And that's always been our connection. Wow. So I pull from that a lot and also my family history. So I like to think about like what my ancestors may have worn to like their special events or like what colors they may have used, what smells they smell. Another thing is that I'm a synesthete. So I process sound as color and I also have like certain numbers and letters, well, all numbers to me are colors and all, not all letters, but some kind of stand out to me yeah. as being colors. So mm, I'll always put, yeah, I'll put music on whenever I'm making jewelry. And if I'm just freely creating, I have all, thank goodness, I have all my beads organized by color, but I just go and pull and create by whatever color I process as I hear it. Wow. Yes, it does. I mean, you are a true artist, David. Um, you know, it makes you wonder, what is the state of Blacks and people of color in the world of interior design now? What, what do you think that looks like right now for people in your world? So yeah, that has been, and I think in June, we saw a lot of change. Um, but I think now, it's starting to be a little bit more prevalent. I mean, because we have always kind of been artists, we've always been innovators, we've always had to make do with what we had at a time as a historical people. Yeah. So I think now that we're able to show it just a little bit more, I think that we've seen an, an uptick and an uprising um, positively in the amount of black and brown interior designers in the world. It's still very much, and I will say this, um, when I graduated school, the reason that I had to go off into something else is because I was denied a job at the onset of graduating. Mm. So the lady told me, she said, you've done a very good job, yet my clientele isn't used to people of color. My clientele isn't used to people that look like you. Mm. And so I was like, oh, okay, well then, what do I do? <laughs> I mean, right. you can't and, change that, huh? <laughs> yeah, no, and I, I really can't. And they have a really big firm here. So I automatically reason that as to, okay, if they have a really big firm, they have this industry and those that follow them. So why am I even trying? Mm. Like I went through all of that schooling and for what? So I had to go off and do something else. But thankfully that once again came full circle because even though I've been creating jewelry, love it. That is my passion. The interior design portion of it was still once again, tugging at me. And it's like, I think it's your time to try now, maybe now. Yeah. Um, <laughs> so yeah. it, it's been something that I've wanted to do. And thankfully now we're having a little bit of time in this platform. And so just hoping that it's not a moment but that it is something with longevity. So yeah. Yeah. And and how has social media impacted your interior design world? Oh my God, definitely. So for me, unless you put it out there, people won't know. And I mean, for a while, I didn't know if this is what I was going to do because I had that dream shot a long time ago. Yeah. But just putting up, I first started a, um, an account for when I bought this house. It was my mid-century abode when I started it. And then when I moved downtown, it was my lofty abode. And then it started to, I changed it to concept 417. Mm -hmm. um, just because I like to come up with concepts and four and 17, D, Q. Q is the 17th letter for, or D is the fourth letter. So that's how I came up that's with that true. name. Wow. Um, but I changed it to that. But just uploading pictures of like projects that I was doing around the house. Mm -hmm. And people kind of started to, it, it gained traction. 
with people because they were like, oh, so what are you doing today? Or what is this? And so for me, I was always, I guess, nervous to put it out there just because I'm like, people already know these things. So why am I doing this? It's very mundane. But when I would get inquiries about, oh, well, how did you do that? I'm like, oh, people don't know these things? Like what I'm doing, these projects? And I have a, or had a bad practice of assuming that my artwork or that my vision was something that was already known. Right. So I would put it out there. It was like, well, duh, everybody knows this. But once you start putting it out there and getting questions, it's like, oh, shoot. Okay, maybe not. So social media from there and um i've taken a turn for my main social media account i'm closing down concept 417 running three is way too much yeah. um so i have one for my jewelry and then one for that's the lifestyle so we'll still focus on fitness my cooking cooking as a vegan and um as well as my interior design so all of my projects as long as clients do you know consent to that they will go on there my home projects and social media has definitely helped because that's how I've gotten my clients now, yeah. especially now in this COVID world. So, Oh, COVID. Oh, you said something right there. <laughs> <laughs> Look, before we jump into COVID, though, I want to talk about this vegan lifestyle. How long have you been a vegan? And what made you transition to being a vegan? Have yeah. you always been one? Mm-mm. No, no, no. Um, <laughs> Lord, especially my, what, when I was on the track to be a bodybuilding competitor i did one show in 2014 and i figured that i was not about that life it is very dedicated but i was eating about like 10 ounces of meat per meal so no not not always but my body just wasn't feeling right i think in 2019 is when i made the transition to being a vegetarian because it was just something about like some of the meats or cheese even it just started feeling weird to me um i guess that feeling in the this is weird to describe, but like when you have like nasal drainage and like that nauseating feeling, whenever I ate, mm. whenever it involved meat, that's how I felt. And so I decided to maybe I need to take meat out of the equation. So I did. And then right at the start, oddly, of the pandemic is when I transitioned to being a full, a full vegan. So around March. Yeah, I couldn't okay. process cheese anymore. I couldn't process dairy, period. Mm-hmm. It just wasn't. I don't know, it, it gave me that same icky feeling. Yeah. And so yeah, and I've had a trainer um, since then and I made sure to enlist the help of a, um, of a vegan trainer because I knew ultimately that's what I wanted to do. But I guess a lot of people may make veganism synonymous with like being very stringy and very small or, you know, like, and that, that's not it at all. Yeah. And I used to see him in the gym all the time, Courtney Thomas. I used okay. to see him in the gym and I mean, he is, in shape and he competed so mm-hmm. i was like well if he can do this in being a vegan maybe i need his help and so yeah wow. since then, you feel better oh my god yes a lot of more energy i don't have that nauseated feeling um unless i lose use bleach but uh <laughs> you know, it's i don't have that sluggish feeling anymore and especially with giving all of these classes now i've not given so many classes since i was like 21 and Aww. yeah so it, it's a lot to be able to manage still with the jewelry, manage interior design clients and give classes. It definitely has a lot to do with my water intake and my nutrition. So, mm. How much water do you t- uh, intake a day? I carry around a gallon. I carry around a gallon all the time in this house um, and try to get a little bit of extra just in case. Um, mm-hmm. And now, especially with um, Zoom fatigue and it's a connection that our eyes have to fatigue and with being, I guess, a little bit parched a lot. Um, but just giving all these classes as well and constantly trying to focus in squinting on like facial expressions because that's one thing I miss um, about being able to communicate. And so doing that with my students and you just, you get exhausted a little bit more, you get a little bit more thirsty. And so I definitely drink a whole lot of water. Yeah. Have to, but at least a gallon a day. Wow. Outlook. I, I wish I could do that, David. I, I think I just need to do it. <laughs> instead of wishing to do it, I just need to instead of grabbing that Sprite. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it's doable. And I mean, it was a practice. And I will say like in the middle of the summer, I kind of fell off just because things were so weird. Um, and my routine was kind of off. 
but mm -hmm. I noticed that when I did start getting a little bit more fatigued and I knew that my nutrition was on point, there had to be something else that was wrong. And that's what it was. Wow. Up that water intake again. We're like plants. We need that's it. That's right. That's <laughs> right. Wow. And you know what? Something I've heard you mention since we've been talking is your bodybuilding days. I want to talk about that for a minute. Yeah. I know you were like competitive and all of that good stuff. So tell me about that part of your life. Uh, what made you go into, you know, the bodybuilding industry and, you know, how was it? Um, how far did you get in that world? Yeah, I, um, I'll say initially it was kind of or more of a thing to prove to myself that I could do it. It was kind of like the culmination of my journey because now I used to, and in high school and when I started college, I weighed 296 pounds. Mm. So I was, I was a lot heavier than what I am now. And so for me, competing was kind of like my present to myself, like, okay, you've done it. Mm -hmm. And so I trained very hard for it. I, I ended up um, enlisting another one of my favorite coaches, Farche. Um, listen to the help of him just because I'd seen him around the gym. I'd been teaching at the same gym. And so I trained extremely hard. I was, what is that? Peak week was horrible. Like three <laughs> gallons of water a day. We were only eating what boiled tilapia and green beans and like taking potassium, um, like the vitamins just to make sure that we don't lock up. Yeah. <laughs> so it was very intense, very, it's a very disciplined life. And I enjoyed that portion of it. And I competed, what I went to, what is that? I did the Dex, Dexter Jackson classic or Dexter Jackson and placed fifth for the first time. Now I was the smallest person there. Okay. Uh, now 148. <laughs> and so for me, that was a lot, but just the fact of being on stage and going through the whole process, for me, that was kind of better in the whole process of like wanting the trophy, I got a trophy. Um, but still, for me, it was more proving something to myself. And so after that, though, I kind of became a little bit too focused on body image. Like I had to maintain that. And honestly, you can't maintain your stage weight. Yeah. It's not healthy. No one recommends it. It shouldn't be recommended. Um, but I had gotten at 148 and at 4% body fat. Wow. That's not something that you can hold on. I couldn't hold on to it for a day because as soon as I implemented water back into my system, it went. Um, but I, I was, again, I guess too thirsty and I'd spilled over. It's kind of like a thing where you water gets in between your muscle and I can geek out about that too. So I just did too much. And I healthy mentality, um, like I said, me personally because I got into it and wanted to be perfect all the time and that wasn't going to happen. So I mm -hmm. kind of bowed out, still an avid lifter, mm -hmm. but just not in the world of bodybuilding. But those that can do it, my hat's off to them. <laughs> and they can do it multiple times. Yeah. Definitely. How many years were you involved in the bodybuilding world? Yeah, I just competed that one time. Um, so I okay. trained for a year previous and then had been training still constantly. And now, not, I guess, in the world, I'm more of just a lifter, and that's it. So mm -hmm. not in the bodybuilding, not in that. Because at one point, I had to eat that tilapia for, uh, what, all day? That bull tilapia. Ooh, nah, did nah. it have some seasoning on it? <laughs> this is Dash, so not really. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, wow. Wow. Amazing. Um, you know, just listening to your journey so far, um, you've been involved in so many things and your world of art is still, you know, evolving, it seems. And one of the things I want to ask you, you know, what are some of the challenges of being an entrepreneur, particularly in the jewelry and home design world in a time where, you know, these type of purchases may be seen as luxury items, you know, you know, what does your clientele base look like? You know, talk to me about that. Yeah. And so that definitely now, um, <clears throat> we're talking about COVID, it, 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 
when I first started or when COVID first started, it was weird to even want to market anything because it was like, we're, this is not even a priority right now. Um, but as you started seeing life continuing and the encouragement of safe living continuing, then it felt just a little bit better to put art out there. But as far as for me, I wasn't marketing my like jewelry to buy, buy, buy. Art always finds a way to make someone happy and in the darkest of times. So that was always my thing of just put it out there. And if people want it, then they will get it. Mm -hmm. But my main thing, in a sense, my um, jewelry is so brightly colored. Over the summer, that's where I really made sure that it was all the color in the jewelry, just because if someone had a dark day, and I mean, there's still dark days because we're in a pandemic, that if you put on a piece of jewelry, if you look down at a bracelet and those bright colors are there, maybe that'll evoke some type of positive emotion. And that's kind of what happened with the jewelry and people would, like when they bought it, they would tell me that, you know, like I felt happy when I got a chance to wear it or like seeing myself in something other than sweats. On a call, then it just felt good to dress up a little bit. Now, as for they had been looking at those like, oh shoot, I probably should do something with this room or those projects that those millions of projects that have just piled up and now they got to look at them all day. Mm -hmm. And that's when people started enlisting the help of designers. I know for me personally. And so it was never anything that I would like go and poach because I just don't feel that. Um, yeah. I mean, even when I was a salesman at what is this American Eagle I always felt bad. I was like, well, you can buy it if you want to. But, <laughs> <laughs> but I, that, that self-care is a big thing for me. And I feel that self-care starts at home. And so if you don't have an environment that is conducive to promoting self-care, then it's very hard to get that started. And so that's been my thing of making sure that people are creating their sanctuaries or creating their oasis in their home. Because after a while, I mean, the world can be a turbulent place. We've seen this year for sure. For sure. Um, so when you step in your front door, you take off your mask, you take off your shoes, you need to be in one of the safest places, period. And that's what I want to create for people. Yeah. And thankfully, I've had the opportunity and do a lot of work over the summer in doing so. And so I'm like on a break for this what week and then have clients coming up in January. Wow. That's amazing, David. Um, I'm glad you said that too, especially with us being in our homes so much right now since the pandemic. So, you know, it's very important to be intentional about, you know, how you're designing your home. Um, you know, how can people add a little flavor to their homes if they're on a budget, David. Yeah, and so I always encourage this, I love this, because maybe not everyone has the budget to enlist the help of an interior designer or of an interior stylist, but they can always do things. So I mean, one quick and easy thing I'll say is always spruce up the home with plants. Mm -hmm. Having life in there, I mean, as you can see, um, but having another form of life and one that purifies your air and bringing it up a little bit. Uh, I'd say decorative items such as pillows, if you wanna change out per season. I used to do that, that's a lot. But if you want to just change it up, figure out what your colors are. Um, a, one thing that I do in consultation and one thing that I studied was color psychology. So there are certain colors that just make us feel better. Um, mm. Certain ones that agitate us. And so once you figure that out, then those are some of the things that you can bring in. Um, I think making sure that if you can, for me, a bathroom is an oasis, mm -hmm. like because of soaking and because of, and so I always like to encourage people get candles. Mm -hmm. That's another thing. Create, if you can't create the look that you want to right now, you can at least create the vibe. So yeah. Wow. So COVID has, you know, affected your world, but I see that you're moving right along, David, with, with COVID. What, what do you think is the biggest lesson that you've learned since this pandemic? Uh, could you repeat it again? I'm sorry. What do you think uh, is the biggest lesson that you've learned since this pandemic? Oh, good Lord. Um, just keep going. 
Mm -hmm. and do so in a safe way of course but just keep going because i mean we we kind of and when i say keep going do so in an encouraging way and a lot of people just wanted i know for me for a moment life stopped because we've never seen anything like this before this is so weird and it has been a lot um, but it's just make sure that you keep going, but within all of that, protect your peace. Because at the end of the day, if you can't show up for something else, then it, it doesn't make sense. It really doesn't. And in my position of always wanting to help people, I have to take care of myself first in order to be able to help others. Mm -hmm. And that's one thing that I always encourage for people to do, because it's one thing that I say that charity starts at home. Mm -hmm. So you can't want to help the world if you can't help yourself first. At some point, that money's going to run out of a bank account and you okay. can't withdraw from an empty bank. <laughs> so true. you have to put deposits of self-love, of self-reassurance. And I think out of everything for my clients, if I don't take care of myself, I can't be here for, and I refuse to make jewelry when I'm in a bad mood or if I'm in a sad mood because I feel that that energy will breathe off into those pieces. I don't want everyone wearing that. Yeah. So, just <laughs> fight for our positivity and fight for our happiness because anything that is worth having will be hard to obtain sometimes, but it's worth it. So. Yes. And you know what? I feel so much good energy from you, David. Like even from the Zoom, I know I'm not in front of you directly, but <laughs> I feel so such good vibes from you, David. Um, and I know that displays in your art as well. Um, I know you got some upcoming projects or some projects that you're working on right now. Can you talk about those? Yeah. Um, and it might be a little different from before just because a lot is unfolding. But um, now I have revived my blog. That was another thing that I've been wanting to do of just like putting tips out there. Once again, it speaks to I just think that these tips are something that a lot of people know already, um, but now a guide for um, men's fashion, so for winter fashion. Of course, we're not going places like we used to, but it's still, I feel that it's good to get dressed in the morning. Even if I'm going to be at the house, it just makes you feel a little bit more productive. Mm -hmm. um, so, and since this is a time where we're kind of like, not in hiding, but we're not out in the world as much. It can be, if you want to work on your image, then a perfect time to, so when the world opens up, we'll be ready. Yeah. Uh, so that's one thing that I'm doing and giving tips there on my blog as far as like fashion, developing your own style, because I want to encourage people to not always have to look to somebody else for their style. Mm -hmm. It's a personal thing. Um, and I'm giving more tips on self-care and going out there now building a gym so I converted my carport into a full gym in response to COVID just because I've seen a lot of inconsistencies with the safety measures in the gyms um, especially the one that I went to so <laughs> I just didn't feel safe going back and I still like run errands for my parents and I have to you know, like make deliveries at their house so I would hate it if I unknowingly carried the virus to them yeah. like by going to the gym or by being irresponsible so I know it's just me out in that gym. That's it. So that that's one of the reasons. Fresh in January. That's another thing that I'll be doing. And so managing, I know now four projects. Wow. Within the month. So hopefully we can stretch it out a little bit, um, mm -hmm. but making sure that the timing is right. And then working on new jewelry line as far as um, changing up my marketing or like my, my packaging a little bit because I want it to be that same experience that you have when you unbox an Apple product mm -hmm. or you unbox a, a new tech thing. Yeah, like that, that wow factor. Yeah. Um, <laughs> so I'll still have like the handwritten letters in there to every one of my, and that takes the longest, but that's my favorite part of yeah. the process. You know what, I, I've, I've, since I've been doing my merch line, I, when I uh, send, um, and order out, I do a handwritten letter. And that's the first thing people contact me and say, like the letter stuck out the most. Yeah. <laughs> <I love> it. <laughs> it's true. Yes. It's that connection. 
And I think that's important, especially with someone that has made the conscious decision of taking their money and supporting you. Yeah. Then that's one of the extra little touches to let you know that I really do appreciate you. Yeah. Um, and so that, that'll always happen. But uh, yeah, I'm definitely wanting to change it up just a little bit. And so, <laughs> but for right now, those are the immediates, I believe. Yes. Yes. Are you ready for the holiday? Well, it's pretty much just a regular time of year for me. So I'm okay. ready for rest. Okay. Okay. Sure. Okay. <laughs> I've already planned. I have my deliveries coming in as far as um, groceries and other things that are drinkable. Okay. Uh, <laughs> spirit. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Those deliveries coming in. So then by what is that? December 24th. 1159 close for oh, business gotcha all that i'm doing is finding different ways that i can wallow on my sofa i know that's right you need <laughs> you know rest to recharge and yeah. inner energy and alignment um i know you're ready for 2021 right yes and i made sure that i've like bought my planners i'm writing down all of my goals because i mean i do that at every year and guiltily or you know with with guilt i say this that i almost threw away my planner for 2020 yeah uh, you was like college. this year gone <laughs> yeah i was like well might as well but now i live by that thing mm. we just didn't know and so i made all these plans and oddly well i'll say oddly but it's weird to see things come to fruition every goal that i put down in my like the goal sheet has come true. Yes. And I know that it's not without hard work and intention, but when things are for you, they're for you. And that's what I have to understand. My thing is timing because mm -hmm. I'm always like, no, I want it now. I want to accomplish this goal now. And it's funny because when you work towards something, it kind of surprises you. Yeah. Cause it's like, Oh shoot, wait a minute. Hold on. Mm -hmm. I already accomplished this. So you have to sit back with it and like let it marinate a little bit. And I know in this world, we're so used to accomplishing something going on to the next. Yeah. you have to celebrate yourself yeah. and and you can do it however you want to i was just really shocked at seeing the things that did happen so i'm wanting to continue to put that energy out there and continue to make sure that i'm working towards those goals and eliminating anything that will put me off track yeah because i mean you definitely what is for you is for you but if you're not ready to accept it then it can leave real quick yeah so i want to make sure that i'm always in a position to not only accept what is for me, but maintain it and be yeah. a steward of it. Gotcha. And, and, you know, just listening to your journey, a lot of things have come full circle for you. So it, it's amazing to watch that happen <laughs> in itself. Yeah. And, um, you know, what do you love about Memphis, David? Because you, you've been here, um, you're deeply rooted in this city. Um, you know, I think Memphis is amazing. I'm a transplant to Memphis. I'm actually from Beaumont, Texas, but I've been here since 1995. And, you know, this city is just so different from others. What do you love about Memphis? I think, and despite some of the things that the media puts out there, the camaraderie, I like being able to go somewhere and knowing someone and be like, oh, shoot, well, hey, come and join us. Or the arts community, for instance, I was very nervous about integrating myself or reintegrating myself into the arts community, but it's been very accepting. And so I'd miss that. And I miss like all of the get togethers of going to like the, the different art galleries and things yeah. like that. But I think the overall camaraderie of Memphis is what I definitely appreciate and the history. And now I guess the movement to heal from the history of Memphis so that we can make for a new set of memories for the next generation to come. And yeah. so I know I, all of us probably went through the phase of Memphis is boring, there's nothing to do, but when the world opens up, there are some great things to go back to. Yeah. Um, and there are a lot of just good activities and neat things. And I, I, once again, being deeply rooted into the art world and the art scene, that has really made me want to stay and invest a little bit more and then give back for the next generation and let you know the black and brown students know that art is fine it's okay it can be a profession yeah so i know that i have a little bit of of a mission here before i go off 
and do anything else if I leave. Um, but Memphis is also a good port when you're traveling because it's cheap. Uh, but <laughs> I think that I still have work to do here. Yeah. So before I can like fully spread my wings, I need to do the work it first so yes and you are definitely putting that work in david i i really appreciate you for telling us about your journey today it's definitely amazing and you know you're so important to this city with the work that you do with the art that you do and i just pray that you continue to make beautiful work and um, accomplish all the goals that you have been setting forth. And how can everybody, you know, check you out and see what you have going on, David? Can you give us your website and your social media handles, please? Yeah. So my main website is davidquarles4th.com. So David Quarles Ivy, you can type it out. Um, and as far as my jewelry, it is for by David. So it looks like ivybydavid.com. Uh, so on the main website you will find like recipes you'll find tips on how to make your home more your home uh tips on fashion different things like that so just a lifestyle blog basically and then it'll link you to where you can take my classes um so if you're wanting to move in especially this season and people have a little bit more delectables planned okay <laughs> some movement but then too a lot of the fitness that i have been doing now or like movement has been an encouragement to forget about some things like a lot of stressful issues because when we move when we dance we forget about all of that yeah um, so there's a link to my classes and how to book me for that and then on social media you can do four by david uh that's for instagram and as well david.quarlesiv so david.quarles the fourth on instagram those are my two media handles Wonderful. Well, you are indeed verbally effective, David Quarles. And thank you so much for joining me today on the podcast. I wish you the best of luck and happy holidays, Mr. Quarles. Thank you. And thank you for my first podcast experience. Yes, you are. <laughs> Look, you were amazing. <laughs> thank you, David. Thank you so much. <laughs>